to us, just given them to the church uh, and to Kids Pantry. We've uh, been able to acquire a truck. We still need to pay some of that off. The Lions Club, I was able to go to them uh, about a week ago. Uh, they, I will be picking up a check from them on Thursday. Um, we're hoping to make sure that's a good-sized check. Um, uh, so I may have to go there myself. But, um, and uh, they've uh, offered us a space at the farmer's market to advertise and to give away clothes there. They've offered to uh, I have a towing company that's willing to tow the truck if it ever needs that, God forbid. Um, we have, uh, they're willing to do a clothing drive for new clothes and things uh, for the giveaway. But this is, can you imagine walking into a store of kids' clothing and toys and just going through there and picking up anything you want and just walk out and say thank you? Sounds like heaven. How can you help? You can come and help separate these clothes. We have over a thousand bags of clothing that's going to have to be gone through and put out and so on on tables. Uh, you'd say, well, I, I, you know, I work, I don't have time. Then write a check or place some cash in the offering. Market Kids Pantry and allow us the opportunity to pay for fuel and bags and uh, the truck and all the different things that are necessary. Make a difference. You can help. Um, I'll be back in a few moments to uh, talk a little more about some of the other amazing things that are happening in October. But right now, the most amazing thing is uh, about to come up here and uh, begin to share. Uh, Chris Ullman is a uh, full-time professor at, our, at Christian Life College. Uh, he is a gifted speaker and very, very knowledgeable in the area of creation and um, evolution and why evolution is an absolute lie from the pit and why uh, you, we need to know the truth, because that's what will set us free, the truth. And Chris is coming now to, to do just that, to give us the truth so that you can use it to help set other people free. Amen? Let's welcome Chris as he comes. Thanks, Pastor. Well, before I begin this morning, I want to announce that this is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And, uh, yeah, I got a great send-off, didn't I? But um, I, it was this, this was prearranged that I would announce it as a member of the pastor's council. This is the month that we can do a special job of showing thanks to our pastors. And I just want to tell you that we've been here since 1988. And the Lord has blessed and moved through, first of all, the compassion that we felt from our pastors. They were there to help unload the truck that we brought up here from Springfield. They've been there before when we needed them the most. And I think it's a good thing for us to be able to show gratitude and thank thankfulness. It's a good thing. It's a way to unburden yourself from the feeling that, wow, what can I ever do? Well, this is a month when you, sh you can do something. We've got a basket out there that's marked Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And please leave a card, a check. Uh, say special prayers for your pastors. They're eminently qualified, called, and full of compassion and, and passion to drive this church forward in Christ. So please... Make it a point to do that this month. And uh, uh, tonight, today what we're going to do is, is talk about uh, creation. We're going to read from Genesis, the first chapter. So I'm going to encourage you to read, to open your Bible, please, to Genesis, the first chapter. And um, then I, I, I'm going to ask for my, uh, my volunteer to uh, come up here for just a moment and um, uh, show us uh, something really strange. I have a big game here called Bandu. 
Oh, and before we do that, I have something really important to say, and it's got nothing to do with any of you. Lori, you're watching me right now. Thank you for praying for the anointing. I feel it. Now, just, I hope I don't blow it. <laughs> She's recovering from uh, a bout with cellulitis, and so um, just, it's good to have a praying wife, isn't it? It's really good. Well, Bandu is a game that is uh, likely to test your patience. And so uh, we have a, a, a wonderful volunteer here who is, who is willing to help out here by, by demonstrating some skills in building towers. Now, these aren't standard blocks. Some of these blocks are really strange. So it's, it's a special challenge. So uh, have at it, Claire. And uh, while you're turning to Genesis, the, the first chapter, I thought I'd mention that this particular approach to uh, teaching has to do with something that I hope will reach the young people. So I've geared this to the point where uh, first graders up can, can appreciate what's happening as we, as we speak from God's word today. I also teach this at the college level. I've taught it in Bulgaria and India as well. And I hope to go back to India this June, Lord willing. I ask for your prayers. And I recognize that this is a message on creation that can go across all ages. In fact, everybody really does care, and everybody wonders, where did we come from? Now, I know none of you are looking at me right now, so that's okay. You're watching to see how she's doing, because you see, this is a hard job. Uh, I am going to mention, though, that if you decide you want more instruction on this, first of all, Christian Life College is a good place to come. Secondly, there are some great books, books that I even use when I teach a course on origin studies. One of them is written by a, a doctor. His name is Dr. Carl Werner, and it's called Evolution, the Grand Experiment. Now, it's a beautiful thing because he actually investigates the claims made by evolutionists and seeks to track them down and to get the real information. He goes to museums, he goes all over the place, his wife has been in hundreds of photographs, great video support as well. Evolution, the grand experiment. This is something that you uh, might want to use for helping uh, instruct your children and yourself in, in, uh, in, at home. I also use another book that's a little bit heavier. It's written by a, a Christian geologist named Dr. John Morris. It's called The Young Earth. Now, this, this particular geologist has made a number of, of, that is great, look at that. Wow. He has made a number of trips to the, uh, uh, to the Holy Land, especially to Turkey, looking for Noah's Ark. Never found it. We probably never will. But he's eminently qualified to write on the young earth. And then some of my favorites are written by an author named Dr. John, Jonathan Sarfati. He happens to be a chess master, a grand chess master from New Zealand. He's also a biochemist. And uh, he's written some great books. First of all, I wanted to mention Refuting Compromise, written to refute uh, Dr. Hugh Ross's teaching that indeed the earth is the result of, of a millions of years long process. He pretty well takes Dr. Dr. Ross to task. And The Greatest Hoax on Earth is another book that I've loved reading. Uh, this, is, this is great. Look at that. Uh, this, is, this is a response to uh, Richard Dawkins' The Greatest Show on Earth. And unfortunately, Richard Dawkins comes out looking pretty disqualified as a result of Dr. Jonathan Sarfati's scholarship. Uh, and refuting evolution is a great text. And I knew this would happen. It always does. It's hard to do that. She's doing a tough job here. And then also by design. If you want a book that will help with uh, helping you to see creation evidence from uh, the world uh, like flight. How many times did evolution require flight to evolve? 
Or maybe God just decided it was a good idea for insects and bats and reptiles and birds to be able to fly. Uh, it's kind of an amazing thing. Well, you've done a great job. Thank you, Claire. But there's one more thing I'd like to see if you can do. Before you leave, come on back up. I'm going to ask you to do this with the blindfold on. Okay. No, I'm not. Not really. But what I wanted to do was to show you now, you see how hard it is to do with your eyes wide open, how difficult it's going to be when you lack the information necessary to put this all together. Hey, thanks, Claire. Good job. All right. Well, let's look at Genesis 1. We're going to read this uh, together, the whole chapter. So I'll, I'll start us out here. Genesis 1 and... Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. We're getting some patterns here, aren't we? And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was Good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image 
after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every beast, bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. We've just read the six-day creation account, the very first um, overture of God to the human race. And so we're going to slip to the next slide, and uh, we're going to see that God has decided to reveal himself, first of all, by creating. He distinguishes himself from the rest of creation. And beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, as we think about what just took place here, we recognize just what a challenge it is to try to balance things. So we know that there are certain sports in which we uh, find a a great appreciation for the people because of their sense of balance. As a child, I had a skateboard and caused all kinds of havoc on the school grounds, uh, just like today. And uh, we loved doing that skateboard. And the goal was obviously just to stay on it. Nowadays, they do all kinds of things we never even dreamed of, but often wondered about being a surfer, too. Wouldn't that have been fun to follow through with surfing? It's just a logical extension of the skateboard, uh, the skateboard ambition. And then you see the guy who's up there risking his life walking between two buildings on a tightrope, and an amazing balance, and how he uses that, that, that beam in his hand to help, uh, that pole to help uh, offset the changes, small, minute changes. You know, this is really an exercise in physics, isn't it? And then, of course, in the Olympics and in, in uh, gymnasts who uh, show their skill by balancing on a beam, one foot on a beam, they do flips and all kinds of things. So we really admire the, the skill and the talent it takes to be able to, to play these, these sports of balance. And as children, we go to the games of balance early on in our, in our, in our childhood. Man, many of you probably played with dominoes, right? Dominoes are a whole lot of fun, but boy, don't come in in the middle of, of this when someone's setting dominoes up, because if you knock one of them down, what happens? All that work is for nothing. They're very carefully balanced. You don't want to knock these things over. But when you get done, it's pretty fun to watch that. And, of course, then sometimes you decide to to do something called a house of cards, see if you can do the balancing act of causing these little pieces of paper to be able to hold the weight. Uh, And some of those get pretty pretty big if you're really good. Or if you've been to the seashore or to the Lake Michigan and you pick up flat rocks and decide that you want to try to find a way to to make a tower uh, uh, doing that. It's, It's fun games of balance. And, of course, we had here the game of Bandu, which is a, a balancing game. We saw how difficult it was. And we recognized that, you know, even, even with your eyes wide open, it's not an easy thing to do here. In fact, this game is really tough because what they do is they, they basically, your opponent hands you the piece that you get to use next. And so your goal is to get uh, your opponent to make a tower that's going to fall over pretty, pretty early. So uh, it's, it's a tough game, isn't it? So... 
Uh, if you've got a lot of patience and a real stable table, then you'll have fun with this. All right, we recognize that life is a game of balance. And uh, it's, it's incredible to know that the things that, rec- that cause life to continue are things that are all about balance, having things in the right proportion. You consider your blood chemistry, how the little difference in your blood chemistry causes you to get sick real fast. Or you consider brain chemistry and how the slightest little deficiency in certain uh, stimulants, certain hormones that work in the brain can cause there to be tremendous behavior challenges. So we recognize we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And some of the balances are are like the the nitrogen cycle. Uh, God has set up a world in which these things get balanced. Obviously, animals need nitrogen uh, to live. And what's the acronym they talk about? The elements needed for life, C-H-N-O-P-S, chinops, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, sulfur. And so uh, you've got to have these things, and nitrogen basically is in the atmosphere, and it's also captured uh, by the plants and caused the plants to create a situation that allows for the animals to be able to get the nitrogen they need, and of course they find a way to get rid of that, and it ends up in the ground, and it comes back, and it cycles. Or how about the water cycle? That's a very easy one for us to think about because we know that the water falls from the heaven only when the clouds get so, so heavy they can't hold it any longer. And that water falls, it, it, it makes its way to the sea where it gathers and then evaporates. And the clouds are formed above the seas and wind and, and, and temperature differentials cause that, those clouds to, to come back over the, over the dry land and again to drop that load of precipitation we call rain. And there's that water cycle or perhaps the carbon cycle, intricately balanced. And now we're concerned with our carbon cycle, but basically God set it in place that carbon will continue to be something that plants will always need. They breathe in carbon dioxide. Now, what an interesting, uh, interesting uh, thing we see that we breathe out carbon dioxide. They breathe in carbon dioxide. They take that carbon dioxide add water and some light from the sun, and create food for themselves. Now, we happen to benefit from that as well. If we eat part of the plant, we benefit. If we eat something that's eaten the plant, then we benefit. We get that food. We get that carbon in us. And then, of course, the carbon recycles again. So we live in a world that seems to have been intricately balanced. And uh, we, we have to ask, where did that come from? How did that happen? Does balance ever happen by accident? That's just a, a pretty, pretty simple one. At least in all the cases we've discovered, balance uh, requires design. It requires planning. It requires execution. You think about the person on the balance beam. Yes, there's got to be some, some study of balance, but then you've got to get out and actually do what you've been learning. And lots and lots of information for there to be those balanced systems. So as we look at life and the universe, what we recognize with all this information is that this is a great idea. Life and the universe are God's great ideas. So let's look at some of God's great ideas. As we looked at Genesis chapter 1, he's told us some things about these ideas. First of all, when God speaks, things happen. Let there be light, and there was light. Over and over, the Bible tells us, and it was so. So what does this tell us? From the very beginning, we're to listen to God's word because God's word has immediate effects. 
God speaks first, then he acts. That's kind of interesting. Why does he do this? Maybe it's to show that what, what he's about to do, he knows what's going to take place. I've always admired watching a billiards player. I'm not so good at it, but I keep trying. Uh, my students know that if I'm over shooting pool in the student activity center, it's because I've graded papers. Because I love, I love uh, shooting pool so much, and I don't like grading papers, so I reward myself <laughs> with a game of pool. So if they see me there, that's, that's okay. Mr. Allman's finished grading some papers. But I can't call shots. Best as I try, I just have a hard time. So I really admire someone who's able to call the shot. He's able to say ahead of time, this ball's going in that pocket. And you know, really good pool players, they're always planning for the next two shots in advance. I can't do that. But they know right where they want the cue ball to end up, right? For the next shot. I often admired uh, seeing that film of, of Babe Ruth, this left-handed slugger, stood up there at the bat, and just for a moment he stops and he takes his bat and he points out to the left or to the right field uh, uh, stand, stands, and whack! That's exactly where the ball ended up. That's control. That's design. That's planning and purpose. You see, God does this. God speaks first, then he acts. God is in full control of what's happening in the universe. This thing is not going out of control. As much as some people may have tried to scare you about us nuking the earth and us ending things because of, 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 of abuse and waste, we have to be careful, obviously. But this is not ending until God's done with it. As our president once said, you started the problem. This is going to end in the time and the manner of our choosing, if you recall the words of 9-13-2011. Indeed, that just echoes the kind of purpose that God has. This is not ending till I'm done with it. So be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Sometimes things can appear to be kind of rocky, but it's not ending till God's done with it. It's his idea in the first place. So as we look further, we see also that living things reproduce according to their kinds. Another great idea of God's. If you created a universe and you really liked the way it ended up, wouldn't you want it to be able to keep perpetuating those good designs? And indeed, that's exactly what we see in Scripture. Things reproduce according to their kinds. The kind of seed you plant is the kind of, ant, the kind of plant that you get. You don't plant a, you don't plant a, a daisy seed and get a, and get a rose bush. You get a daisy. Living things reproduce according to their kind. And cats have kittens, not puppies. So uh, this preserves God's original idea. It's kind of amazing. He's made it so that we will reproduce what he intends to see. You know, it, it's just incredible. As you look at, uh, at this, what was the original created kind of dog? We see some examples of wild dogs here. One of them is from Africa. Uh, the other one is from Australia. We don't know for sure what the original created dog was, but we do know what will happen if you leave a lot of dogs and allow them to interbreed and, and, and become what they call mongrels. And they're actually pretty strong when they're mongrels. In India, we, we saw a lot of these dogs, that, and they all look pretty much like the ones, not these, but the ones we just saw. But if we, collect, if we control their breeding process artificially select, we could create varieties of different dogs. Now, they're all still dogs, but some of these are dogs I've never even heard of. The vast Gota Spitz, um, with those double dots, it's probably Scandinavian of some kind, but Entelbuker um, Sennenhund, anybody ever heard of that? Anybody have Entelburger Sennenhund? <laughs> uh, you see, these are, these are amazing uh, varieties, but they're still variations on a theme. According to their kinds, these animals will reproduce. Another principle we discover as we look at God's word is called the Goldilocks principle. 
And obviously, as, a, as, as little children, we maybe heard the, the, the fairy tale about Goldilocks. And, and she finds that uh, even though she tries the father bears and the mother bears uh, 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 bed and chair and porridge, and none of those work, but the baby bears always is the best one, right? This is the Goldilocks principle because it looks like we've been put in a world that was designed to be just right. And the Goldilocks principle was formulated by physicists. As you look at this earth, it just seems to be fit for us. And we go to Isaiah 45 and verse 18. It says, he did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. All right. Planet Earth, it just happens to be just right. It seems to be tuned for life like nowhere else that we've ever discovered. And we've been listening hard for a long time to find evidence the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and it's not there. We haven't found it. So we know this is the only place where there is life as we know it. And the reason is because of the just right liquid, that is, water. Only place in the universe that we've ever discovered liquid water. Or the just right sized sun that we have. It's got to be the size that it is. Or the just right distance from the sun. There's, a, there's something called the circumstellar navigation, habit, habitable zone, and planet Earth is the only planet that happens to fit in it. You can't get very much closer to the sun and still have Earth, and still have light, life, and you can't get very much farther from the sun and still have life. We happen to be in just the right place in the solar system. The just right moon. Our moon has a real effect upon conditions here on Earth. The just right location in the galaxy. This truly is the privileged planet. So as we look at our, at our world in which we live, We'll take a look at our, our summary of, what's, of what God has done here in the first four days. God creates space, matter, and time. He created light, water, sky, dry land, plants, sun, moon, and stars. Been very busy in those first four days. <clears throat> now let's take a look at the mind of God. <coughs> Excuse me. And how we see his orderly plan. It seems as if God has a plan even in what he did when he did it. The first three days are days of forming, a space and a place for light. The second day, a space and a place for sky and water. The third day, a space and a place for land. But then what does he do in the next three days? He fills the spaces he's formed. We have filling it with lights, filling it with creatures to live in and above and filling it with creatures to live on it. This is an orderly thinking God. This is a rational plan for creating the universe. Day five of Genesis tells us the water teems or swarms with living creatures. God must love abundance. He must love activity. He likes the dynamic interplay of all kinds of creatures going together. Sometimes we want utter simplicity. But apparently God loves the simplicity that is in perfect balance. It demonstrates his glory more effectively. To do that, God admired his work as he created. There in Genesis, the first chapter, it says seven times God saw. Why does it tell us that God saw? He wants us to know he was reviewing what he had done. As I think about this, God seeing and then saying, oh, this is good. Doesn't that kind of impress you sort of like what a painter would do? or a sculptor, or a fine chef. 
Sampling as things go along. Oh, needs a little bit more here. Oh, these colors are good, but let's add a little bit over on this side. Oh, let's take the chisel to this part because the features are not quite what I want them to be. God shows himself to be admiring what has taken place. And I think that we can agree with him that it is good. By the way, this is the first time the word good was ever uttered. So God gives meaning to the word good. God is the ultimate reference point then, isn't he, for what we're going to call good. Anything that God calls good is good, and anything that God doesn't call good, it can't be good because God's the one who made up the word good. Now, what would you expect to come from the hand of a, and the mind of a good God except a good creation? It's almost like, yeah, of course it's good. Look who made it. It's not that way now. In many ways, we find it off balance, don't we? We find hard, hardship and bloodshed and conflict and things not balanced as they ought to be. At times, as I look at the world in which we live, it's sort of like the top that you wind up and get it going and it starts out the spinning top. It looks perfectly in balance at the beginning. But then as it begins to slow down, it loses its balance and it begins to careen off of the objects that are around it. And it's kind of fun to watch that unless your goal was to keep it standing straight up all the time. And that's what happens with sin. Sin tends to make a mess of the things that could have been balanced. On day six of Genesis, God said, let the land produce living creatures. And he says, this is good. And all the creatures that God was ever going to have uh, on his earth were created on that day. Now, there's been variations since then, but indeed, we find that his creation is finished at the end of day six. So the creatures that we know have lived because we found their bones are like dinosaurs, and we found the fossils of trilobites, and there's a strange fossil called an ammonite. It's not related to the people of the Bible, but it's a strange creature that curls into the spiral. It's quite beautiful. They're not around there anymore, but God created them as, long as, as well as everything else. And a lot of those creatures went extinct at some point after the flood. But we see it from Scripture. It says, God uh, blessed his creation and then said to humans, I'm putting you in charge of it. So this idea of human uh, superiority is rooted in what God has revealed. Now, it's superiority with the responsibility. We've got to take care of the land that God has given us. On day six of Genesis, uh, he said to all the beasts of the earth and, uh, and uh, birds of the air um, and, and so forth, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And then I think what God did as he took, takes a look at this is he ends up re responding, to, this is very good. This is very good. It's an exclamation, it seems. So now we go to the humans and being the final and crowning work of creation. I'll keep on going. <laughs> this moves along. So we want to talk about the humans being not naked apes. One more. <laughs> and there we go. We're not naked apes. You see, the Bible says you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You know what? The Bible never talks about a caveman stage out of which humans had to eventually evolve. The Bible shows Adam and Eve as a very competent group of people. They were given a tough task to do. They were given minds to understand how to name creatures. 
they were quite bright. Within the first generations of, of the human race, we see music and metallurgy and city building and all kinds of things happen. You wouldn't expect those from cavemen. If there was a caveman period of time, and it probably was, it was probably after the flood. Nobody had any place to live but caves. All the trees had been knocked down. So for maybe a generation or two, there were cavemen. But this is not a caveman existence. We see God uh, committing to humans the care and a management and exploitation of his universe. It's an amazing thing how God has created us to be the crown of his creation. And you see, man is to rule fairly and live in harmony with all other forms of life. We're responsible for taking care of the earth, colonizing it, and wisely using it. So let's go back. Let's go now to look at the six days of creation. It's completed. The acts of innovation and, and, and design and creativity are finished. On the first day, matter, space, and time are created, earth and light. The second day, the sky and atmosphere. Third day, dry land, seas, plants, fruit, and trees. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, earth, uh, fishes, sea creatures, and birds. Day six, animals and humans. That is Adam and Eve. And on the seventh day, God rested, it says. Rested from all his labors. Not because he was exhausted, but to show as a pattern that once your work is finished, take a day off. And you see, if you don't take your day off, what happens if you don't give your body its Sabbath? Um, your body will take its Sabbath. It'll make you really sick. It'll cause you to have challenges and problems. So if you don't take your day off, it could end up like this scene I found. Does anybody feel like that sometimes? Like you're just loaded so heavy, there's no way you can possibly even make any traction at all? I don't know what they were thinking. They just probably underestimated the, the power of that, of that mule, didn't they? And we do that sometimes too, don't we? <laughs> Is it possible you're busier and God wants you to be? That's a question to consider. But life did not start from a single cell and then evolve to humans. The Bible does not say in the beginning, hydrogen! It doesn't say from goo to you by way of the zoo. Well, let's discover some amazing evidence of God's creativity, of creatures that they just cannot be explained by the theory of evolution. And I'm just going to take a couple. I've got books full of them and videos full of them. They're amazing. All you've got to do is spend a little bit of time looking at God's creation. You'll find something that just boggles the imagination. How did that happen? But a couple of them we'll look at. Are, one of them is called the cell. The basic, simplest building block of life. Everything that you are is made of cells. Every living creature uh, exists because of cells. All life processes happen as a result of cells. So if we're going to understand life, that's where to begin. And if we're going to talk about this all happening by accident, this is what we have to show could take place by accident. And we look at the cell, it's amazing. Look at its structures. They used to think the cell was like a plastic bag full of goo. That's not it at all. Even the bag part, the membrane, is, has multiple layers. It's made of different substances that will allow what they call selective permeability. Some things in, some things out, not too much, not too little. It's incredible. Just the membrane is very complex. And then we also take a look at what's inside the cell, and we won't spend too much time on a Sunday morning, uh, but we'll recognize each one of the processes of the cell 
involve an incredible balance of energies and substances. And you mess that up a little bit, and the cell's going to die. One of the most interesting things about the cell uh, is that uh, it maintains this steady state that is different from its environment. That's part of how we know we're alive. When a person finally gives up the ghost and passes away, another way of talking about it is their body assumes room temperature. You no longer create that environment in which you're actually much, much warmer than your environment right now. Without the just right earth, it just can't survive. There's just too much information in the simplest cell to try to make the case that this happened by mere matter being operated on by chances over time. And then we'll take a look at one of the structures of the cell. Of this cell, the kind of cell we're looking at is a bacteria. So a very simple cell. How do they get around? Do they just kind of float wherever life takes them? No. They can make their way from one place to another. And the way they do is with these funny little tail things they call flagella. And if you look at the way the flagellum is actually constructed, it's, it's not at all what they thought. The more knowledge we get, the more we recognize the information encoded into life. Even the simplest forms of life just begs for an explanation. This is the kind of thing, this looks like a machine, doesn't it? It's actually got gearing. It's got differential. It can stop on a dime. It can change direction. There's all kinds of things that this little mindless bacterium does by instinct because of the beautiful design that it's been gifted with. Now, you might not be happy about that if you're suffering from bacteria right now, but these are the ways God has created his simplest forms of life. Another creature we'll look at, the second one, is the bombardier beetle. Now, the bombardier beetle is a small creature. We probably have bigger beetles in our backyards right now. But I'll tell you what, they haven't got the bombardier beetle's weaponry. The bombardier beetle has an amazing ability to uh, expel a tremendous blast of superheated liquid in the face of any animal that happens to be chasing it. So whether that's a frog or a spider or some other insect or a bird, he can repel those animals through what God has created. You see, with inside the abdomen of the bombardier beetle, there are chambers. And those chambers are very carefully lined so you don't spill liquid from one side to another because what he's working with is a combination of hydrogen peroxide and rocket fuel. Now, he doesn't know it's rocket fuel, but that's what is hydroquinone. And basically, what has to happen is those two substances have to be combined in order for there to be the blast. But if this happened by accident, how, would this, how does this get controlled? There's a, sec, a third substance that's made. It's called a catalyst. And it's an enzyme that disables the blast. And a fourth substance, the catalyst, causes the blast to actually take place. But still, you still got a problem because the blast is taking place in the abdomen of the bombardier beetle. And without some tubes at his gun barrels through which that blast can be focused, boom, there goes the, the beetle. You see, every single step in evolution has to confer a benefit. It's very difficult to see what benefit there is to have these explosive chemicals without being able to use them. And now we've got the issue of how does this actually get aimed? Because, of course, if he doesn't aim this thing in the right direction, it's not going to repel the attacker. So he can independently aim the tubes on his abdomen to repel the attackers. It's incredible. You see, what we really have here is all the elements that take to make a good rifle. We have a barrel, we have a trigger, we have a firing mechanism, 
We have ammunition. And of course, we have the, the rifleman's um, in, uh, knowledge to be able to use it. Now, when you add up all the probabilities of this kind of thing happening through random mutations selected by, quote, nature over eons of time, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in a creator. It's an amazing thing we see. You see, evolution, it's just the idea of mere men. Evolutionists teach that the universe is here because of an accident. What's that accident called? The Big Bang. I know there's a lot of high-level math involved in all that calculation, but there's a, there's a philosophical issue I'd like, I have never found an answer to. Besides the Big Bang, does anybody know of a single explosion that results in creating more order anywhere? Has there ever been an explosion that created more order? You know, we love to watch these films of people demolishing buildings. And companies, of course, are hired to carefully plant those explosives and set them off at, at intervals that are perfectly controlled to keep the damage to, to nothing. But when they set those explosions off, is the building more or less complex as a result? Much less complex. You see, explosions don't create order. They create disorder. You don't build buildings with explosions. You take them down. You make them simpler. And so we have a big, a big hurdle uh, to try, to, try to, uh, to, to get over if we're, if we're going to believe that that first accident is what results in all the order we have here. Secondly, we recognize that evolution teaches that life evolved because of accidents, things that were unplanned. If you want to be a member of the American Association of Biology Teachers, an association which most of your school's biology teachers belong to, you must affirm that you believe life is the result of an unguided process. I'm sorry, evolution is not necessary to teach biology anyway. Biology is a study of living things as we know them today. Nevertheless, we're asking people to lay aside the, the basic intuition that design things require a design, require a designer. And as we look at this, we see that uh, what's being affirmed by evolution is that unplanned, unguided mistakes, they call them random mutations, uh, are accumulating over long periods of time, as the evolution theory teaches, which they say nature selects, or natural, quote, selection. Selection's, interestingly enough, a very purposeful statement, isn't it? How can anything select anything without some guidance? Okay, got a little problem with natural selection as a term. And it results in, in orders of increasing complexity over time. Now, if you allow this kind of process to determine how organized your house is going to be, uh, will you be successful? It's going to take a lot of personal uh, thinking and purpose and design. We recognize some of the challenges here. But really at the base of it, if you want a single question to ask the evolutionists, is where did all the information come from? That seems to be a one-question a one refutation. Because you see, all that information has got to be from someplace. And a story I like to tell here about uh, uh, a, a group of people, a group of evolutionists got together and decided that man had come a long way and no longer needed God. So they picked one brave soul to go and tell him that they, they were done with him. The evolutionists walked up to God and said, God, 
we've decided that we no longer need you. We're, we're to the point that we can clone people and, and do many miraculous things, miraculous things. So why don't you just go on and, and get lost? Not needed any longer. God listened very patiently and kindly to the man after the evolutionist was done talking. God said, very well. But, but wait, let, let's, uh, how about this? Let, let's, uh, let's say we have a, a man-making contest. To which the evolutionist replied, okay, great. But God added, now, now we're going to do this just like I did um, and, and uh, back in the old days with Adam. The evolutionist said, sure, no problem. And bent down and grabbed himself a handful of dirt. And God just looked at him and said, no, no, no. You get your own dirt. <laughs> so not only does he need dirt, he needs a lot information. The information deficit is the Achilles heel of this approach to understanding where we come from. Get your own information. Balance, design, purpose. Does this describe what we find when we look at a forest or a meadow or a seashore? I think for a lot of people, yeah. I think most people are going to be able to say, yeah, I can see how things seem to sort of fit together. And if you answer yes, then the next question must be, where did the information come from in the first place? Did it come from mere matter? Or did it come from a mind? Now, since the information needs of our universe are so great, we probably should worship and serve the source of this information. And Scripture tells us that's exactly what has happened. In Romans 1 and verse 25, it says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things and ideas rather than the Creator. But you know, those who have actually seen God have a different story. We look at Revelation 4, and we find we're ushered into the presence of those who live in the presence of God. In Revelation 4, it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And forever and ever and ever, they are in shock and awe over what God has done through his mighty hand. Now, you might think as you've heard something about creation, okay, great, I'll just shelve that away. I've got a few arguments now that I can use in case somebody questions what my belief in the Bible, and that's good. I think we're supposed to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. But how's the order in your life? God doesn't, God's not a God of disorder and confusion. He's a God of peace, isn't he? It says that in 1 Corinthians 14. This isn't order. This is a mess. Is your life kind of like this? Are there areas where the pieces of just not only not standing on top of one another, but starting to roll off the table and you can't even find them anymore? Does your life have some issues where it's like, wow, how did that get so far out of control? I can't even trace back. I can't even reverse engineer where I stepped off the path. I'm so lost. Remember who God is. Remember, you're God's idea. 
And if you want to figure out how to get back, he's the one who first thought you up. He's the one who first thought me up. I'm his idea. You're his idea. You existed in the mind and the heart of God long before mom and dad ever met and had that blissful night. (laughs) Your salvation has been provided for you long before you ever made a shadow on this earth. You're God's idea. You see, God wants to be in your life. If we don't know where we came from, we're not going to know where we're at, and we're really going to have a hard time knowing which way to go to get where we want to go. But God takes care of this. God tells you where you came from. You are his idea. You're the object of his love, the apple of his eye. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Are you sitting here today still weighing it over? Has Christ become cold in your heart? Is there something that's missing? You've got a God who said, hey, you're my idea. Let me enter in. Let me help you back to where you were and take you further, further than you could ever imagine being. Who could have ever imagined a creation like the one we live in? The best science fiction writers could never have come up with this scenario. But we have a God who did. And it's not science fiction, it's science fact. Beautiful thing. Would you like to pray with me? I invite you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your care, your goodness, your sweetness, your power, your wisdom, your wrath, your justice, your righteousness, your holiness. Thank you, God, for being who you are. Never, ever, ever straying from it. And God, we look at a world sometimes and it just doesn't seem like what we want to see. And then we look at our own lives and we recognize that the disorder we find in the outside world is nothing compared to some of the mess that we've made. But God, you are the God who restores. You are the God who brings back. And and God, if there's a person sitting here today and they've never given their lives to Jesus Christ right now, you can pray with me. God, I ask you to forgive every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong deed I ever did and ever will. And I ask you to come into my heart. Invade me in your fullness, O God of power and wisdom. Make me a new creation. I promise I'll ask Jesus into my heart. I'll let him be my Lord. I'll read your word. I'll pray and I'll fellowship. And God, I believe that you have a new life for me. And if this is a prayer that the the man who's heard this has prayed it before and fallen short, oh, God, restore God, restore the young person who's gotten confused and lost his anchorage, who doesn't know where to go next and wonders, how in the world can I ever straighten this out? The key is you can't. But there's a God whose idea you are. And he knows what he had in mind for you in the beginning. God, show him your idea. God, show her your idea. Make your plan real. Make it come alive. And God, we will give you all the thanks, all the honor, all the glory. God, we confess, Lord, this nation's in a mess and it needs you. And you, God, have an idea for this nation. We ask you, Lord, to help us to seek it and then to live it when we find out what our role is. Thank you, God, for being able to celebrate your creation. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Um, 
I know that you've learned something today, and I hope that uh, you'll be able to utilize that. Uh, don't ever allow someone with argument to, uh, in any way, lessen your experience with God. It's the truth. It's for real. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team if they would come back up and join me. We're going to sing one final chorus in just a moment. Um, but I, uh, I did my undergraduate work at a secular university, and one of the things that I was confronted with periodically would be people that said, well, you realize there is no God. And I would say, really? Say, yeah, yeah, no, there, God doesn't exist. He's, there is no God. My response to them was always, have you checked everywhere he could be hiding? You already, you've done that. You've gone through the entire universe and you've checked and God is nowhere to be found. Unless you're omnipresent, you can't even check that. So uh, that was the end of that discussion. And that was fun. I just want to uh, very quickly remind you of a couple of things in the calendar. And there's also some handouts that are extremely important in the bulletin today. The, uh, uh, this coming week, there's a variety of things going on that and the calendar will give you that information. Uh, the following week is the, is the setup for the giveaway. And again, we really need as many people as possible to help with that. Then uh, you'll notice on the 14th, uh, choir rehearsal begins. Uh, that's going to be for our Christmas presentation that's coming uh, in December, which is uh, two months away. Oh, my goodness. Whatever. All right, it's coming. But then the last Sunday in particular, the 28th, is a very special Sunday, and that's going to be uh, our uh, membership and baptism. We're bringing in a baptismal tank. It'll be right here in the main sanctuary. And uh, if you've never been baptized and you need to uh, make a public confession of your faith, then that Sunday is the day to do that. There's a form in the uh, bulletin that you can fill out and read that. It gives you all the information. Just turn that back in. Uh, call the office. Let us know that your intentions. You might say, well, Pastor Fred, I was baptized as a baby. Well, then you need to be rebaptized as an adult. You need to make that public confession of faith. It's very, very important. It's powerful, and uh, it's just good for you to do that and uh, to have that as part of your resume. How many of you realize that resumes are important? God checks those. So the other thing is uh, chili cook-off. You might say, what on earth is that? Well, that's how we raise money for our children's ministry. Uh, somebody came up with this idea years ago, and it's absolutely brilliant. You cook up a pot of chili or soup or something, and you bring it to church, and then you pay us $2 to eat it. <laughs> genius. Absolute genius. But the catch is, we need you to do that. There's a sign-up place out in the lobby, and if you'd like to bring chili, great. Hot chili, mild chili is fine. Kids, if you want to create some chili, great. We have a specialty category. You say, I don't like chili. Well, then make chicken soup or vegetable soup or split pea and ham soup. or You know, make soup. Uh, make goulash. Just put some stuff in a pot that's edible and bring it in. You could win something. Who knows? And so, uh, again, it's a great day of fellowship. We have hot dogs and nachos and cookies and... So it's, uh, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. Right after church, we all go in the gym and just have a great time of fellowship. And we're able to raise uh, some funding for our children's ministry, which provides curriculum, materials for vacation Bible school, uh, things for our happy birthday Jesus party. It's just, uh, again, a great way of us, for us to uh, help our children's ministry. Now, um, 
I just encourage you to help out. There's so many different ways you can get involved. And uh, I thank you, thank you, thank you that, uh, that you do that. And we, do, uh, we also really appreciate all that you do for us as pastors uh, throughout the year. But in October, I love October. It's a great month. We do accept cards, checks, cars, vehicles, clothing, jewelry. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're really not picky at all, are we, Pastor Merrill? Not at all. Not at all. So, again, thank you so much for that. Would you stand with me? We're going to have the ushers come now and... I think you can give while you're standing. Uh, every uh, beginning of uh, each month when we have communion, we uh, also take up an offering for our uh, benevolence fund. Throughout the year, we've been able to give thousands of dollars to people in need. And uh, if you are in need today, again, please feel free. You don't need to give anything in the offering, but contact the office if we can help you in some way. But uh, if God has blessed you, again, give something in this offering and just say, thank you, Lord, for blessing me, and I now want to bless someone else. And as we're taking up the offering, Leanne's going to lead us in a great song that will just kind of solidify the message we've heard about creation. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of who you are and who you have created us to be. Thank you, Lord, that we were not an accident. We just, we just don't, we're just not an evolving mistake. But, Father, we were created with purpose and design. Father, we have a past that's under the blood. We have a present that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we have a future that's established in heaven. Father, we are blessed. We are way blessed. And so, God, thank you. And receive now our gifts of finance, but, Father, also our praise and worship. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your giving.
God who would have you to be blessed would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Peace. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. It's amazing. Hallelujah. Have an amazingly wonderful week. God bless you all. The uh, worship team will play that song one more time. Just shout hallelujah as you're leaving and greet one another. Bless someone. And uh, again, have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday. Amen. I'm